We've been uh, going through 1 Peter under this title, Elect Exiles. As exiles, we're walking against the flow. Our home is not this world. We wait for a new earth and a new heaven through Jesus. And judgment is coming. Today, our title is Is this on? Not quite. Our title is Glory to God in Everything Through Jesus. The end is at hand. Those are Peter's words. And I want to challenge you right at the beginning not to make earthly politics too important. I've seen people this week overjoyed and oversad. Politics don't change anything in eternity. Jesus is on his throne. He's not even standing up. He's not worried. He's not thwarted or challenged in any way by the result of any election, this one or the United States election or any other election. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We have a citizenship that is not here, and we treat whatever happens here as Exiles. Uh, the Bible says, bless the city where you live. Live there. Build there. Make it, a, make it a good place to live. But don't be a citizen of the world. We are citizens of heaven. That was for free before the message. <laughs> My dad was an Air Force lieutenant. And he raised his six children as though it were kind of an Air Force battalion. One of the things we had to do from the time we were six years old, on your sixth birthday, you knew that you started running three times a week with dad. Two miles, five o'clock, you showed up at the starting line. Didn't matter where you were, if you were playing or whatever, you had to have your shoes on, ready to run with dad. Well, about 4.15, my stomach would start churning. And I'd think, oh no, I I gotta go jogging with dad. I hated it. It was painful to go running for that. I mean, running a short distance was fun, but running for 20 minutes, 25 minutes was painful for a little boy. And I would try to think of every excuse I could to not go. Finally, they had to make, mom and dad had to make the rule that if you were too sick to run, you were too sick to have supper. Well, that eliminated that excuse, right? (laughs) Gotta run. You gotta go, or you can't eat supper. So we ran and made it through, and it was so happy to be done. But you know, I soon realized that because I had started jogging at age six, I could keep running farther than my, team, my, my classmates. And every year when we had a mile run, my brothers and sisters and I usually ended in the top three. In fact, in high school, I won almost every time because no pain, no gain. I ran three times a week. Two miles, and I was getting stronger. I learned to push myself beyond what I thought I could do in order to grow. In fact, we went back to that same missionary base where we used to run when I was a teacher after college, when Susanna and I were newlyweds, and I just enjoyed getting ready for the mile run with great gusto, pushing myself to see if I could beat my personal record because I had learned that suffering produces Perseverance, character, hope, 
beyond what I had before I had suffered. You know, that's what steroids do. So, so athletes are tempted to take drugs. Why? Because it gives them more energy to push themselves farther and then grow more. That's all it does, is this hope that maybe a little suffering will produce muscles and ability that I don't have. That's what Peter is trying to give us through chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let me ask you some questions before we read it again. What would you do if you were convinced that Jesus had paid it all and nothing could happen to harm you in him? How would it change how you live if you knew that you would be judged tomorrow? It would change some things about what I do. Would it help to know that handling, that hardship and afflictions work holiness and, quote, a weight of glory that far outweighs them all? Would that help you put up with hardship? You know, on Friday, our church fasted and prayed for patience. And as I was doing that, I realized there's no way to get patience without waiting without long time between your prayer and the answer. God gives you patience by testing your faith. How long will you keep praying and hoping for the answer to come? Let's just read through these verses one more time so that you can have them fresh in your minds, and I hope you have them before you. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. Since therefore, 1 Peter 4, verse 1, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. I like the word pagans there better. The NIV says pagans. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now that is a lot of space to cover, but I've really enjoyed studying it this week, and I see a symmetry that I want to show you, if I can, in just a few minutes that we have. I hope you have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, or something to take notes with, or both. 
uh, because I feel like the Lord really has a message for us this morning through this. First of all, see that this passage starts with Christ and goes to Christ. Since Christ suffered, to Christ belong glory, dominion forever and ever. From Jesus to Jesus, that's where we are living. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, everlasting past. He loved us. He will love us everlasting future. Jesus is all and in all. I hope you know that. There is nothing that will exist outside of him. From Christ, since he suffered, to Christ, all glory and power forever and ever belong to him. But he's also the middle. Read verse 6 with me. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Right in the middle of the timeline, this is what the cross means. The timeline is horizontal, and at at the fullness of time, Christ came born of a woman, born under the law, that he might rescue us from death. So he's the beginning, he's the end, and he's the middle of the story. That's why we have B.C. and A.D. Jesus died, and as we learned last week, from chapter 3, verses 19, he descended into hell, the creed says. He went and he preached to those dead in prison from the days of Noah, and I believe all the way back into B.C. Verse 19 and 20, part of verse 19, says, He, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So Jesus preached the gospel, the good news, the open door through his rent body on the cross and life evermore through his resurrection, even to those who had died up to that point. Now, that's where that ends. We don't believe at Calvary that everyone will be saved, nor that you have a second chance after you die. You have until you die. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. There will be judgment. Wake up now. That's what our worship team was singing to us a few minutes ago. Come awake. Remember, there's judgment coming. But I want to observe three movements, and it's exactly five verses, then one verse, and then five more verses. Verses one through five talk about a Christ-like mindset remembering the past. This is repentance. So Paul or Peter is saying, since Christ suffered for you, stop living like the pagans. Stop doing what you used to do. Don't live according to your passions. Don't even live according to your own desires, but live for the will of God. We'll we'll talk about that more in a second. Verse 6 talks talks about a Christ-like life in the Spirit through the Gospel. This is regeneration. So he talks about those who are dead in the flesh, but then come alive in the Spirit, even those that Jesus preached to from the days of Noah. That's what happens to each one of us who opens our heart and says, yes to Jesus, I repent, I receive your life in me, I receive the payment for my sin. 
then a new life starts. A Christ-like life only happens through the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about being sober-minded and self-controlled. You cannot be self-controlled without the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So you only get the Christ-like mind through the gospel in the Spirit. And then the, sec- the third movement here is verses 7 through 11, a Christ-like way of living focused on the future. This is sanctification. This is not living just in the salvation that Jesus has given me, just stopping doing evil. See, I, th- I think a lot of Christians think Jesus saved me so that I can be a good boy, that I don't have to do all those things. I can just be clean and in my own little uh, sanctuary. This is what the desert priests thought, right? Go out into the desert so you don't feel tempted and you don't do anything bad and just wait for Jesus to come. Peter's saying, you got to love. You got to serve each other. You got to be hospitable and not grumble about it. That's why Jesus saved you. Sanctification means getting out of yourself. Even as a cleansed, forgiven son and daughter of God, we are called to do something with what Jesus bought for us. That sanctification, becoming holy. Look at verse 11. In order that, so this is why we're saved, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is saying, because Christ suffered, expect to suffer as a follower of the suffering servant in the flesh and in the world. But on the same mindset, remember that you're following the suffering servant. Don't expect it to be comfy and secure because you're following Jesus. And he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Remember we had a sign that said, Venha sofrer com a gente. Not stop suffering but suffer in Christ with joy and hope and life together because we don't have to sin anymore. This is your calling, says Peter in chapter 2, verse 21. Christ suffered for you and would have you follow in his steps. James is the great passage about this. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then he gives us a command, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we're looking back to Jesus. Let's see, for you, it'd be looking back to Jesus on the cross. We're realizing that Jesus is the gospel that regenerates me. And we're looking future to judgment We will receive reward for how we have lived in Christ. And we change the way we live because of those realizations. Christ suffered for me. He lives inside of me. And I will live like him because judgment is coming. We could end the sermon right there. But I want to give you a couple of examples to help you put that into practice. And I thought maybe American football would be a good one. I know it's hard to understand, and I have to confess, I don't like it. I think it's a lot of American glitz and materialism, and way too much money is spent on it. 
I don't watch American football ever. But I will tell you that I have great respect for football players because they go through amazing hardship. And they prepare themselves by weight training, by running, by eating very uh, clear diet, by wearing equipment, because they know they're about to suffer. And they're going to suffer. And this is, all you need to know to understand football is it's about property. Football is about property. American football is about taking inches of property, owning the land, advancing against your enemy. And you put on a helmet and you put on pads so that you can push the enemy back and take ground. Doesn't that sound like what we're doing? I hope it does. We're here to take ground from our enemy. Spiritual ground. Ground in people's hearts. Ground in our own mind and schedule and budget. Take ground. And to do that, you've got opposition. You've got enemies. They're going to try to keep you from advancing and push you back into your old ways of living. Prepare yourself for persecution. Prepare your mind. Prepare your soul, your faith. Memorize scripture. Know that it's going to be a challenge, Peter's saying. And then take the advance. Three great oppositions against our advance in Christ. Number one is in verse two. Going against my passions through Christ. Going against my passions. What does verse 2 say? So as to live in the, re- in the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. My passions are basically what I want. What my flesh asks for. Hebrews 12 says that in your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I don't know what sins you struggle with. I know the ones I struggle with. And I have to constantly push against that and say, no, you can't have another coffee today. In fact, on Wednesday, I tell my flesh, no coffee today. We're praying and we're not going to be addicted. (laughs) Or a second cup is no cream and sugar, all right? Just straight black stuff. Because you got to hold your flesh on a tight leash. It's constantly pushing against you. It wants to take you down, just like an American football tackle. It wants to tackle you and make you worthless on the field of battle for the glory of our suffering servant Lord. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. I hope you know verse 17 of Galatians 5. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's talking to Christians. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, listen, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Christians, there are things that are not sinful for another person that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that. I want you to get up in the middle of the night and pray. I want you to go visit somebody in prison. I want you to give somebody a hug that's hard to hug. 
Your body rejects it, but your spirit says, I will do it. Because you're prepared to go against those passions of your flesh. That's what's killing you. If you let your body do whatever it wants, it will kill itself. If you never exercise because it's hard, your body will die of lack of exercise. Your doctor will tell you that. So you've got to wake up and say, what can I do? It helps me to put on a podcast of the news. That keeps me from thinking about the pain of jogging for 20 minutes. Right? Just listen to the news, listen to the news, keep running. Because my body says every step, stop, stop, this is no fun. And yet when I'm done, I'm so glad I did it. Prepare for persecution against the passions of the flesh. Second, enemy, against popularity. So Peter says, don't do those things the world is doing. And I want you to notice that the flood of dissipation or of, uh, the ESV uses the word uh, degradation. No, it's not. Debauchery. Look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Now watch this growing flood. Living in sensuality. Okay, so sensuality is just the values. That's just your thoughts. You like uh, real cozy, comfy, delicious, things that sort of gratify. Pinterest runs on this, okay? doesn't have to. I'm not saying it's sinful. Look at Pinterest. I'm telling you, sensuality is rampant in places like Instagram and Pinterest, right? Sensuality. And then it grows to passions, and then to drunkenness, and orgies, and drinking parties, and finally, lawless idolatry. Just worship whatever your flesh desires. It's a flood. It grows. It, it floods you out and drowns your spiritual life if you will let it. And it's because all the people around you are doing that. Last night, there was another party somewhere in our neighborhood. We could hear it beating in the middle of the night. And I just thought, God, have mercy on young people who think that's where the fun is. I got to get over there. And I got to dress like everybody else. It's a flood of debauchery. It's taking people down the broad road to destruction. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. What are the three things in the world? Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, going with the flow, seeing how many likes you can get on Instagram because you posted something that really attracts everybody's eyes. Again, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you that the broad road to destruction is easy to take through popularity if you're not prepared for persecution, if you're not ready to walk against the traffic. It takes a mindset. It takes hardening. It takes discipline. For you to say, I will not be like everybody else. I will not be somber and depressed. I will be happy and I'll say good morning. I talked to a, a member of our church this week that said he, was at a, he got fired, but he was at this business for several years and every morning he said good morning to anybody that he saw and nobody ever said good morning back because they were all so focused on making money. That's something. I was proud of him for going against the flow. Be prepared for persecution against popularity. Expect them to malign you. They will make fun of you. Remember, they're going to be judged, and so will we. 
Remember Jesus, who didn't turn insult into insult. He didn't answer in the same way that they insulted him. And he calls us to be different in that way. The third enemy that we need to prepare for persecution against is passivity. Verses 7 through 10. And I want you to notice in a special way the one another's in these five verses. Three times, Peter says, one another. He starts out with prayer. End of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. But above all, keep loving one another earnestly. So here, this is against passivity. To, to love one another earnestly, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to go to that person or call them up or break your schedule in some way in order to love people since love covers a multitude of sins. Now let's talk about that for a second. Did you notice that in the first section, one through five, it says, who has suffered, whoever has suffered is free from sin. Now Paul's not, or Peter's not saying that your suffering pays for your sins. What he's saying is, when you're suffering, all you can think about is your suffering. You're not tempted to gossip. You're not tempted, you might be tempted to complain, but you're focused. You're focused. And that's what he's saying. Be prepared to suffer like Jesus and leave your sin behind. But here he says, love covers a multitude of sin. What a symmetrical beauty Peter puts in this passage. That suffering in love means I leave my own agenda behind and love you earnestly from the heart. And that keeps me from being selfish. I always thought it was covering your sin. Like I'm going to love you anyway, even though you don't deserve it. But guess what? It's covering my sin too. My sin of selfishness. My sin of wanting to just be myself and be independent. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to be that way. Because have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but left his throne, came down to us. Now be like him. It covers sin. Show hospitality, verse 9, to one another. There's another one another. Without grumbling. As each has received a gift, serve one another. Now that word gift is the word charisma, which is based on grace. Because down further he talks about the multi-form grace that God gives. That God gives grace to us. His varied grace for serving one another. And that's how we are good stewards of his grace. is by not using it for ourselves, but using it for each other. Going against passivity is being self-controlled and sober-minded. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27. Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I... What does he box? I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's telling his own body, get up and go visit that sick person. Get up and go love somebody earnestly in Jesus' name. That's the suffering involved in persecution by passivity. Titus 2, 11 through 14. I hope you've memorized these few verses. Titus 2, 11 to 14 is just a precious picture of the 
grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. See, there's repentance and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled. That's sanctification. Upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that's the past, to redeem us from all lawlessness, that's the present, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. Here's a warning. Sober is not somber. One letter of difference. Sober is not somber. Oh, I was going to have a picture of my friend Phyllis up here. Phyllis Lepoe passed away and went to the Lord's presence a couple weeks ago. Worked for InterVarsity. Was the happiest person anybody at our church in Wheaton knew. Just laughed all the time and wanted to make you laugh. And drew college students to the Lord through her happy, self-controlled, sober-mindedness that evangelism was top priority. See, that's what Peter means. Be sober-minded, not to think about what you want to do and what would be fun and how you want to spend your extra time and money, but think about the judgment. Think about what Jesus did for you and how can I live from now on for the kingdom of God. Joyfully, hopefully, prepared for persecution in it, but loving the Lord through a joyful, hopeful attitude. How can we apply this as we finish? If you have life through believing the gospel, now I put that there because this is for Christians. Don't set out to be sober-minded and self-controlled to try to earn your salvation or somehow make it through the judgment. You can't make it. You won't be good enough ever. You don't pay for your sins with your good works. It doesn't work that way. First, you must be washed in the blood of Jesus. First, you must trade your old life, which is hell-bound, with his new life, which is heaven-bound. Once you do that, then, yes, you expect to suffer unjustly. Arm yourself in Christ like a football player. Do push-ups. Put on your helmet. Get ready because the world, the flesh, and the devil are against you taking ground for Jesus. Second, just say no. Peter says be don't, don't spend your time as you did in the past like the pagans have done. Can I say a word to parents? Teach your children to hear no. Teach your children to hear no and see it as a blessing even against their desires. So many kids can wind their way into a cell phone. I see it all the time. Just whine and whine and whine, and the parents think they're being good parents by saying, okay, here you go. And they're condemning their child to a life of future pain because they don't know how to say no to their flesh or no to the world around them. Third application, pray more and more, not less and less. Verse 7, it's for the sake of your prayers. 
part of a sanctified life, in fact, the foundation of it, is time spent in prayer. Now, I'm not talking about just on your knees. I'm talking about infiltrating your day with conversation. When I think pray without ceasing, I think just don't end the conversation. Keep talking to Jesus. Keep listening to the Holy Spirit. Keep looking for Him, even in the traffic and at your office and when you're doing normal stuff throughout the day. Pray more and more. Number four, destroy sins of omission based on individualistic materialism. We won't talk about that. Explode your passivity by obedience. See, Jesus didn't save you just to be squeaky clean and sit at home until he comes. He saved you to love earnestly, to serve one another, to be hospitable, welcome people in, go out of your way to do good works, zealous for good works, he says. Love. Love covers a multitude of sins in yourself and in other people. Be hospitable without grumbling and serve in your giftedness. I hope you know what your gifts are. It's probably not the same as mine. It doesn't have to be. And just because I have the gift of gab doesn't mean I'm any better than you are. I'm serious. Don't put me on a pedestal. You have a gift too. Use it to serve the body. You're not just here to receive. Use it. Use your gift. We need your gift. Use your gift to serve the body. Serve one another. And then over all of that is glorify God through Jesus in everything forever and ever. Verse 11. 